When you think about Ireland and Scotland, you think about that Celtic region. I mean, you might, you might have a lot of different things in mind. You may think about St. Patrick's Day. You might think about corned beef and cabbage. You may think about green beer for, thank, for, uh, for Thanksgiving. For, oh, your Thanksgiving's probably a lot weirder than mine. I don't know. You may think about green beer for St. Patrick's Day. But one of the things that the Celtic culture has given us is a very acute awareness of, uh, of faith and, and spirituality. There's a concept among the Celtic Christians uh, that they call the thin places. That there are places in the world where the veil between this life and the next, the, the veil between eternity and, and the everyday world is very thin. And in those places, you acutely feel the presence of God. And so they go to these places to commune to God with God. It, it, perhaps it's a church or a cathedral. It, it might be a, a particular mountain. It might be an island like the island of Iona in, just off the coast of Scotland. But it's these places where you find God. And these places are holy ground. We have places like that too. We have places where we sense the presence of God in a, in a special way. We gather here for worship and we sing together and we feel the presence of God and the nearness of God. There's other places that you go and perhaps you grew up in a place that you just absolutely love and you think, well, that place, that place is God's country. You know, I, I feel close to God when I go to those places. Maybe it's a place where you take vacation. I know our, our friends Denny and Sue love to go to Gatlinburg and you, you hear them talk about the mountains and it's, you get this sense that that's holy ground, that's God's country. The Lawhers love to go to Hawaii and it's like paradise. You know, they, they love the weather, they love the scenes and, and they feel a, a special closeness to God. For me, it's probably, you know, it's probably the prayer rooms at the chapel. At Lincoln Christian University, I spent hours in those prayer rooms praying. And even now when I go back there and spend time in those prayer rooms, I, I feel something special when I go there. On, on the other hand, another one of my places like that is probably the Moonshine Store. Uh, but it's definitely not a thin place, you know. It's not what I would call a thin place, but I have shared so much time there, not just eating, but fellowshipping with my friends that there's a sense of holiness when I, when I go to that place and a sense of being filled uh, when I go to those places also. The sense that we have of holy ground is that holy ground is that place of peace, that place of comfort in God's presence. You know it's holy ground because of what you feel and the pleasant memories that that place brings back. But I've started to wonder if maybe holy ground might be something else too. I've started to wonder if maybe there's another aspect to holy ground. What if holy ground is not a place of beauty? What if holy ground is not a place of peace? What if holy ground is a place that challenges us? What if holy ground is uncomfortable? And what if it hurts? <laughs> Moses is out in the desert. The God, God tells him to take his shoes off. What if, what if holy ground burns you just a little bit? What if holy ground is exactly where you don't want to be? We're going to start looking at Exodus chapter 3. We're going to spend the month in Exodus 3 and 4, beginning with verses 1 through 10. It's way in the front of those blue Bibles in front of you. It's on page 46 there. This is one of those foundational stories in the Bible. Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. You've heard the story. You've read the story. You watched Charlton Heston talking to the bush 
Or if you're younger like Megan, you, you, you saw the Prince of Egypt movie and you saw Moses as a cartoon when you saw that. We think of Moses in the desert. And then we realize as we kind of do a mental survey of the Bible, Jesus went to the desert, right? And we think about, we think about David, David out in the desert. We think about Jonah in chapter 4, Jonah's in the desert. You think about Paul on the road to Damascus, there's a desert experience for him. You think about Job, you, you think about John the Baptist out there in the wilderness. And I think what we begin to see is you do not encounter God without going through some kind of desert. I'm going to begin in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. You know, I look at Moses' story here, and I think about how we tend to view holy ground in our lives, and I wonder if holy ground, what if holy ground is exactly where you don't want to be? And we're starting out in chapter 3, and we might need a bit of a refresher on chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus. Chapter 1 picks up 400 years after the book of Genesis, the people of Israel are in Egypt, but they are now living as slaves in Egypt. They are under under the the subjugation. They've been subjected by the by the he by, by the the excuse me by the Egyptians. They they are slaves. They are making bricks. They are living under oppression. And Pharaoh gets worried. Pharaoh is worried because these Hebrews they breed like rabbits. And what if what if they become too numerous? And what if they overthrow us? What if they gain their freedom? What if we become subjected to them? And so Pharaoh comes up with a plan. Every time a Hebrew boy is born, the boys are to be put to death. Drown them in the Nile. Get rid of them. Do not let the boys live. And by the end of chapter 1, one Hebrew boy has been born. He is hidden away. He is placed in a basket. The basket is placed in the Nile. And Pharaoh's own daughter comes along and finds this baby in this little reed basket there in the Nile. She pulls him out. She draws him out of the water and she names him Moses. The name Moses means drawn out. And she raises him as her son. He's raised in the palace. He's born a Hebrew. He's raised in the palace as an Egyptian. You can see there's some conflict in this kid's life. From early age, there's conflict here. Chapter 2, Moses witnesses a Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. Moses steps in. He strikes the Egyptian, kills him, tries to hide the body, but he gets found out. And it's Pharaoh who says he's going to die for this. I want him dead for this. 
And so Moses runs away. He runs east. He runs to Midian. Midian is a a nine days journey away from Egypt. He has run for nine days. He goes to Midian. He meets a man named Jethro. I know, I think about the Beverly Hillbillies when I hear the name too. He meets Jethro. Jethro has a daughter, Zipporah. Moses marries her. They have a son. They name their son Gershom. Gershom is a name that means that means sojourner. It means traveler. In other words, Moses has accepted his fate. I don't belong here, is what that name says. I don't belong here. I am a stranger here. And so when we encounter him in chapter 3, he is shepherding for his father-in-law Jethro. Chapter 3, verse 1 says that Moses led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We're not told why he went there. But understand that where he went was even further away from Egypt. He takes, he t- he's heading on east. He's heading further and further away from Egypt. Further and further away from, from his responsibilities. It's almost like he can't get far enough away from his responsibility, from his failure, from his shame. And so when God speaks to him out of that burning bush, verse 6 says, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. What does God want with him? What does God want with him? A murderer, a, a runaway, someone who doesn't belong here. But God has found him out, out here in the desert, far from home. He may have run away, but he's not run away from God's justice. He's not run away from God's wrath. But this is holy ground. This is a thin place. This is a place where heaven and earth meet. And for all of our pictures of holy ground as a place of beauty, a place of perfection, a place where you feel the presence of God, what if it's not? What if it's the hardest place you've ever been? What if it's the darkest trial you've ever been through? What if holy ground is a place where you're confronted with your your failure and, and your shame? What if it's that moment of weakness and that moment of loss? What if holy ground is that place where you don't want to be? What if that ends up being your holy ground. And what if like Moses, it's in that place where God finally gets your attention. The place that God chooses to meet Moses is not perfect. It's not beautiful. It's harsh. It's difficult. It's burning hot. Moses does not know that there are angels all around in this holy place. And it may be that in a place like that, that's where God chooses to meet you. That place where you've reached your limit, where you've had enough, where you've run away as far as you can. And it's time to face the reality. (laughs) You're a mess. What if that's where God finally gets your attention? Yeah, I think about Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. There's some interesting parallels here, I think. The, the prodigal son has left home. He's taken half of his father's inheritance. He has gone out. He squandered it in a far country. And when the money runs out, he, he's left with nothing. He is working for a farmer, feeding the pigs, even eating with the pigs. And it's at that point that he realizes that the servants in his father's house, the slaves in his father's house, they have it better off than he does. And so he turns around and he heads back home. And before he can get there, his father comes running for him. 
embraces him, throws his arms around him. It's interesting. Here Moses sees this bush. He sees this bush that's burning, and yet it's not being consumed. And verse 3 says, Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? And then in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called out to him out of the bush. Did you notice that God did not speak to Moses until he turned, until he changed his course? I wonder if God is waiting to, for us to, to give him our attention. I wonder if he's waiting for us to change our course so that he might show us where the holy ground is. You know, it's interesting in all of Scripture, there's never another encounter with God like this. There's never another incident of a, of a burning bush. We never see it happen again. In fact, it's seldom even mentioned again in the Scripture. And there's no attempt to explain it. There's no attempt to explain the burning bush. I've heard preachers try to explain it. I've heard people try to say, well, there's a bush over there that has oils on the leaves, and if the sun gets hot enough, it can light that oil on fire, and that oil will burn off, but the bush won't be burned. And that's just not true. That's a preacher story. You don't believe everything a preacher tells you. Except for me, right? There's other preachers that have said, well, that the leaves of those trees, of those bushes, they're shiny. And if the light hits them just right, they just kind of glow. And other people say it's like St. It's like Elmo's fire. It's an atmospheric disturbance. The Bible never tries to explain it away. The Bible just lets it be what it is. And what it is, what it is is weird, okay? It's just weird. And, and you've got to admit, it's just strange. It is a, it's a mystery. It's a, it's a strange and unique story because the bush is not the point. The point is what Moses did. This Hebrew who became a prince in Egypt, this Hebrew who became a murderer, who became a runaway, who then became a shepherd, this Hebrew who is a failure, now encounters the living God. And the living God has a plan for his life. And what matters is God's plan. There's a good chance that some portion of your story, you've got a story about how you encountered God. You've got a story about how you gave yourself to Him. And there is a good, part, uh, a good chance that there's a part of that story that people just don't understand. People might even think you're kind of weird because of the things that you believe and, and what's happened to you. And that's okay. Because whatever it took for God to get your attention, that is your holy ground, your burning bush, the place where He encountered you, the place where everything changed. And that change starts when you trust God with the holy ground. Trust God with the holy ground where He chooses to meet you. Moses sees the burning bush. He turns to check it out. He steps onto holy ground. He takes off his sandals and God speaks to him. In verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression to which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh." that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
And now he's no longer Moses the Hebrew slave, Moses the prince. He's not Moses the murderer. He's not Moses the runaway. He's not Moses the shepherd. He's not Moses the failure. He's not Moses the condemned. He's now Moses the liberator, the one who sets his people free. He will never be the same again, and his people will never be the same again in history. Our story will never be the same again. Everything is going to change. That's what happens when you step onto holy ground. Life as you know it is transformed. There's new purpose. There's new direction. There's new hope. And you don't come away the same. But it's not because the place where you met God was perfect. It's not because the place where you met God was, was beautiful. The weather was amazing. The mountains were beautiful. It was, it was perfect and you felt the presence of God. It's because in that place, no matter how desolate and difficult and lonely that place was, you turned aside from where you were going and you decided to meet God. And so I have to ask, what, where was your holy ground? Where would you say your holy ground was? That place where you gave your attention to Almighty God and everything changed. I've known some people for whom holy ground was addiction, right? Some people, it's addiction. It's that they hit rock bottom and then they found out there was a rock bottom below that rock bottom and it got even worse. But they came to a point where they realized that they were powerless, that life had become unmanageable. And that became holy ground because they encountered God there. For others, it was when somebody walked out of your life. Somebody who said they would never leave and they walked out of your life and you thought life was over only to realize that God is faithful, that He will never abandon you. And that became holy ground. For some, I think holy ground can be that that visit from the police in the middle of the night delivering some horrible, horrible news Holy ground is when the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. I, I know people who've encountered holy ground on ventilators struggling with COVID. Others have found holy ground in that darkness of depression when they realized they had no place else to go. What if that diagnosis that you've been dreading? What if that diagnosis you've been dreading for yourself or someone you love, what if that becomes holy ground? What if it's in that place where you have to say, it's not supposed to be like this? What if that is that place where God gets your attention and you turn aside and you say, I want to see this great sight? What if you take hold of that moment and you decide that is going to be your holy ground? You know, maybe you've been there already. Maybe it's yet to come. And maybe like a lot of people, you have found holy ground after holy ground after holy ground as struggle after struggle, difficulty after difficulty have, has led you closer and closer to God. I, I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid of holy ground. Don't be afraid to find that holy ground and trust, trust the one that you encounter in that holy ground. Trust that God will meet you there and trust that He will see you home. And so we're going to spend the month on holy ground. <laughs> We're going to spend the month uh, with Moses out there on, at the holy ground. We're going to hear God's call. We're also going to hear Moses' excuses because he's got a lot of excuses as to why he can't do this. And I think what we're probably going to hear is his excuses are a lot like our excuses. And yet God continues to call. He continues to call Moses. He continues to call us to come to Him. He promises to meet us in that place of pain, that place of discomfort, that place where we don't want to be. 
And as much as you dread that place, the promise is there that one day you will realize this was a sacred place. This was a place of promise. The air was so thin that you could feel the presence of God. And like Moses and like so many others, you'll realize this was holy ground. And come to the table. We come to our time of communion. And we hear, I always think of of Jesus' words to the disciples, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. I also think of the words that we're reminded of in, in Hebrews. That He endured the cross. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, of the Father. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. There might be something we have to endure. There might be something you have to endure. But I can promise you, when you encounter God there, there will be joy set before you as well. I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to sing this song that you've been thinking about probably since I started the sermon today. We're going to sing Holy Ground. We very often stand as we sing this song towards as we move into the second part of it. Let's go. Ahead. Let's plan on doing that today. And let's take together and let's, let's commit to finding Holy Ground no matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult it is, that we will not let go until God blesses us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your promise. Lord, life is not easy. It's, there's so much difficulty around us. And Father, we have, we have grieved together as a family, as a community, as a church. We have, we have dreaded some news from time to time from each other. And yet again and again, You have proven Yourself faithful. Again and again, we have come to see that even in those difficult times, and, and especially in those difficult times, You prove Yourself faithful. And so as we start this year, as we seek holy ground to, to find You, I, I pray Your presence in a special way. And we thank You for, your, for this cup, for this, this loaf. We thank You for the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body, for the cup that reminds us of His blood. We thank You for the reminder that, that it costs to come to holy ground. And that You gladly paid the price for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.